Last week, we unveiled our, our theme for the year, and it is this Grace 2.0 with a big reset button in the middle of it. And we said there's not a greater reset in the world than resurrection. Isn't that right? So uh, I didn't really get a chance to uh, tell you what this is about. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Look with me in the book of Titus in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. I want to read in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Isn't it wonderful that we have the hope of eternal life? Because God cannot lie and He promised us this before the world began. Isn't that wonderful? Are you glad that you have eternal life today? Do you have eternal life today? If you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you don't have it. But you can receive it as a free gift today. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't work for it. But Jesus Christ wants to give it to you. And that's what Paul was talking about there. And look at what it says in verse 4. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith. Mine own son after the common faith. So what does that mean? The apostle Paul had led Titus to the Lord. And notice what it says, after the common faith. There's not your faith and my faith and someone else's faith and we can all believe whatever we want. No, there's only one saving faith. The book of Jude says that we must earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. There's only one faith. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. It is a very exclusive message. There aren't many ways. There's only one way. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So you can go in the way that you think is okay, or you can follow Jesus Christ and go to heaven. Those are, there's only two options. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that have received Jesus Christ and are saved, and those who have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior and are not saved. That, that's it. There's only two kinds of people in the world. It's not about being Baptist or, or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or, or, or nothing. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you go to heaven. People go to heaven because they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's the common faith. And Titus was Paul's son in the common faith. All right? Look at um, verse 4 again. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now that's the order. You come to, to faith by grace. God gives you. Grace is another word for gift. God gives you the gift of eternal life. And boy, then you receive mercy. Why do we need mercy? Because we deserve to go to hell. All of us do. All of us do. So we get mercy. And after we have mercy, now we can have peace. The Bible says that we can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Peace. All right? So, grace, middle of verse 4, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, here's where we are this morning. For this cause left I thee in Crete. All right? So now, the Apostle Paul had led Titus to the Lord, had trained him for the ministry... And now he is leaving Titus on the island of Crete 
to accomplish something. So here's what the Apostle Paul would do. What, what the Apostle Paul would do was he would go to an area and he'd preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there would be a group of people that had received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they would begin meeting together, gathering together, but there wouldn't be anyone there qualified to be a pastor of that church. And yet, those people would still gather together, read the Word of God and pray, and minister to the people around them. Minister to each other, minister to the people around them. And after a little while, what happens is the cream rises to the top. And there are people that it's obvious that that person is going to be a leader in the ministry. That happens in every church. In every church, there, there are a lot of people who attend, there are a lot of people who serve, but there are certain people that rise up and are leaders in the church, not because someone comes along and says, you're a leader, but because they just begin leading. And it becomes obvious that they are a leader in the church. We have men like that here at Grace Baptist Church. Many, and that's a wonderful thing, when you have the Word of God influencing people's lives. We've got many leaders. I, I couldn't begin mentioning them. I'll mention one, Ty Blackford. Ty, when I came, was, uh, you had graduated already. Is that right? What year did you graduate? 94. 94. Man, you're older than I thought. I always thought you were a young man. Um, and, but he was a leader even then. As a young person, he was a leader of other young people. And he, the, the, he, he just rose to the top, and now he leads in our, in our youth ministry. Pastor Nathan, um, he was 15 when I came to the church. And there was, there was something different about Nathan that we knew right away. And obviously, God had a plan for his life, and you can see the way that he's leading. God did that. God, God has raised these men up. And many of you, the same thing. Many of you are leaders. You don't even know it. And over the next couple of weeks, you're about to find out what you're going to be leading. <laughs> Surprise. What I'm going to do in appointing some of you, what, what I'm going to do there is what Paul is leaving Titus to do. So Paul has come to Crete. Do you all know what, what you call somebody that moves away from Crete? An excretion. Yeah, that's a good joke. All right, so Paul goes to Crete. He preaches the gospel. He leaves a body of believers there. And then he goes about doing the same thing in other places. But now he's sending Titus back to Crete. He's leaving him there to accomplish something. Look at what he wants him to accomplish. Look at verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So what's happened here specifically is he's sending him to these churches. And do you know what happens to a church when there's not leadership? Things get out of order. Right? Things get out of order. Uh, it's for, for you science people, it's the law of entropy. Things tend to move from order to disorder. And that's what's so funny about evolution. Everything came from nothing and order came from chaos. It, it, it doesn't even make sense. It's a different sermon, but it, it doesn't make sense. Entropy. 
It's like your kid's bedroom. <laughs> right? Because I know often you have to say, don't mess up your bedroom. No, what do you have to say? Go clean your room. And some, you know, children have been lost by being sent into their rooms alone. And somehow they're lost in the chaos. Right? So what, what are you telling your child to do? Set in order the things that are wanting. Because everything tends from order to disorder. Our God is a God of order. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in describing a church service, the Apostle Paul writes, let everything be done decently and in order. Our God is a God of order and structure. And He has intended that for the church. And so what has happened was these congregations of people who love the Lord and they love His Word because there's not a leader, things are wanting. So He has them appoint an elder... He has Titus appoint an elder in every city. So what is an elder? An elder is a pastor. There are three words that in the Bible that describe a pastor. They are pastor. You, got, you knew that one, didn't you? I knew you did. There's pastor, there's elder, and then there is bishop. Pastor, elder, and bishop. Pastor, that's the shepherd. He feeds and protects the flock. So when uh, Peter had denied the Lord. After the resurrection, Jesus went and found Peter. And three times he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. He said, then feed my sheep. Three times he said that to him. By the time we get to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter got the message. He writes to some other pastors and he said, you elders, I who am also an elder, write unto thee, feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you, and here's the word, overseers. The pastor feeds and protects the flock. All right? Feed through the Word of God. Protect from the wolves. False doctrine. People that come in and try and get you to sell Amway. My job is to protect you. I, I said that in a place one time and somebody came up and said, I'm a Christian and I sell Amway. It was a joke. It was just a joke. I like soap. It's good. All right? So the job of the pastor, feed and protect the flock. Amen? Now, you know that there are predators out there. There are predators that want to come into a church and get your children. That's why we do background checks before people can work with our children. Why do we do that? My job is to protect your kids. Amen? That's part of my job. That's part of my job description. So that's the pastor. The, the overseer, like I just quoted from first, uh, from first Peter chapter 5, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, that's the word bishop. The word bishop, overseer. And that's administration. So the, and so this church is really in trouble because I'm a terrible administrator. But that's one of my roles. And so what God does is He brings people along into the church to help the preacher with things that he's not good at. Praise God, He brought us Ed Bermond. You know, he's an administrator. He's good with those things. He's my right hand on those things. Pastor Nathan, my right hand on those things, helps with those things. But that's the, that's the job. My job is to make sure that all this runs well. That's another part of the pastor's job. The third is elder. Elder. And it doesn't have to do with age. It has to do with does the, the that's the, the pastor's responsibility to know God, to know God and his word. One of the qualifications for a pastor is not a novice. It doesn't say one who has mastered the word of God. Right? Why is that? Because you can't master the word of God. Isn't it wonderful that you can read over a passage that you've read a hundred times and you see something new? You can't master the Word of God, but not a novice. You know how to handle the Word of God. So the three roles of the pastor are the pastor to protect and feed the sheep, 
bishop, overseer, that's the administration of the ministry, and then elder, he needs to know God and know God's word. Those are the three jobs. So the word that's used in Titus is elder. So what you need, what, what Titus was told to do was go and find somebody who knows God and knows God's word, who can oversee and feed and protect that flock of people. So, and then he goes on to describe what that man is supposed to do. Look at verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So in other words, the pastor's kids have to be in control. If your kids are monsters, you got to be in control of those kids before you can become a pastor. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? Amen. Um, verse 7. Now look at the word that's used here. For a bishop. Now, how many of you have been in a church where there's a pastor and then there's a bishop that's over the pastor and then there's something else that's over... Right? No, this is describing... One, one time he says elder, the other time he says bishop. It's describing the same office. All right? For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker. Now, that word striker, that's interesting. When we look at that word, we think of someone who doesn't hit people. No, this is someone who, who refuses to work. So when people don't want to work, they go on strike. So a pastor has to be willing to work. Nothing worse than a lazy preacher. Nothing worse than a lazy leader. How many of you have ever had a boss that was lazy? Pastor Nathan, you raise your hand, you're in trouble. All right, you ever had a boss that's lazy? That's a terrible place to be. Yeah, yeah, he, I saw him reading a book the other day, How to Work, How to work for a Jerk. I was offended by that. But I just... All right, so, so we're back in verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Man, if a preacher goes into the ministry for money, that's a bad place to be. That's a bet. You know, there are, there are denominations that hold the preacher's retirement over their heads. If, so if the denomination starts accepting gay marriage or whatever, and the preachers say, we don't want to be a part of that, they say, well, if you pull out, you lose your retirement. And so preachers don't pull out. That's why, that's why you've got to make sure if you're a minister, you can't be in it for the money. You can't do it. You can't do it. Um, how many of you saw that, that uh, Creflo Dollar, one of those guys, was trying to raise money on the Internet for a new airplane? He needed to raise $40 million because God wanted him to fly around and preach. And I thought, that's a good idea. So we have just on our website, we've put up a... No, man, that's crazy. It's just crazy. Just think how many churches you could start for $40 million. How many missionaries you could support for $40 million. Not given to filthy lucre. Look at verse 8. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert, the whole, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. That's for money. So now what we're seeing here is there were some problems in the churches that had begun. They needed leadership 
They needed leadership, but this leadership needed to be qualified leadership. And then what they were supposed to do is they had to know sound doctrine so that they could combat error. Now, notice it says exhort and, in verse uh, 9, to exhort and convince. Exhort and convince. So you exhort. You motivate them to get away from their error. You motivate them toward the truth. And then you convince them with the truth from the Word of God. All right? So that's that's what needed to be set in order. So what does this have to do with Grace Baptist Church? All right? Well, this church has been here for 64 years, I think. And this has been a church that has emphasized the Word of God and doctrine since it was started. Now, here's the blessing. This is a very unique thing. I'm only the second pastor of this church. It's a very unique thing. Bill Hovestreit was here and faithful for 46 years. Began this church. Virginia, his wife, we've had you pray for her. Um, We believe that she's had a small stroke, so we want to continue praying for Virginia. But Brother Hovestreit planted this church out of Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, and he was faithful here for 46 years. Well, he died in his office. You know, he, they, they took him to the hospital, but they think that he was, he was probably gone. Wade, you, you had to carry him out, didn't you? Thelma Roadhamel found him. And they called me as pastor. Now, I've been here for a little over 18 years as pastor. And one of the jobs of the pastor is to set in order the things that are wanting. Well, what is, what, what is that? Well, when ministry, what ministry does is it tends to go from order to disorder. And so you can't just establish a ministry in a church and think that it's just going to get better and better and better and better and better and then we're going to go home to see Jesus. That's, that's not the way that it works. So periodically it's time for a, a reset. We are at that place at Grace Baptist Church. Now look around. I mean, we're full. We're full. We're just, and we're not going to grow until we do something about that. And that's, we're, we're looking at some things for that right now. But the issue is, in a church, God will only bless us as we do things right. Amen? And so there are two ways to do things right. Number one, they have to be right biblically and doctrinally. And then number two, they have to be done right administratively. Let everything be done decently and in order. And so Paul said, set in order the things that are wanting. That's what Grace 2.0 is. It is us looking at every aspect of ministry at Grace Baptist Church, and we're looking for things that are out of order that need to be set and placed in order. And the way that God wants us to do that is to have God's people over those things. Ministry is not supposed to be done by the pastor alone, right? We know that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some uh, uh, prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the job of the pastor teacher is to perfect the saints. So perfect, grow to maturity. My job is to, to grow Patrick to the place where he is ready to do the ministry. That's the job. So I do ministry. He does ministry. Ty does ministry. Darlene does ministry. David does ministry, right? I was doing so good, too. The floppy got stuck right there. All right. So now, how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens through discipleship. So let's look at a couple of things this morning. 
Um, Grace 2.0, what that is, it is, it's a new day at Grace Baptist Church. We're going to pretend we're starting a new church here in Sydney. And what would we do if we were going to start a new church? What do we do? We're going to set in order the things that are wanting. Now, don't get worried. We're, not, we're changing nothing doctrinally. Nothing. Why? Because it's the common faith. That it's the faith once delivered to the saints. All right? We're going to do it step by step. The first is discipleship 2.0, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We have completely reworked our discipleship ministry. We're going to be talking about that. Next week is ministry 2.0. How are we going to do ministry? We're going to divide the church up into teams. And everyone is going to be on a team. And each of those teams is going to have leadership. And there's specific roles and duties on those teams so that we can become more effective in ministry. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? It's going to be awesome. All right? Now. I sound like Anthony Robbins. And you can do it. You have the power within you. Okay, now. (laughs) Missions 2.0. Missions 2.0. You know that God's plan is for New Testament churches to send people around the world to establish other New Testament churches and to train people in those countries to establish New Testament churches and then for those churches to send people out to start other New Testament churches. You understand that's what missions is. And the way that that happens is through the New Testament church. We want to take the next step in missions. And so, uh, not next week, that's ministry 2.0. The following week, uh, which is the 26th, April 26th, we're going to have Ron Jones here, and that's going to be missions 2.0. Going to learn a new way to do missions. So now, this morning, let's look at discipleship 2.0. Discipleship 2.0. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. So sometimes you hear words like discipleship and you start to think of David Koresh and his disciples or, you know, we're all going to go downstairs and drink Kool-Aid after the service. No, a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a follower. Now, in, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be very clear about something. Do you know that a disciple... Being a disciple is not the same thing as being saved. Judas was a disciple, and he wasn't saved. See, you can follow Jesus. You can dress a certain way. You can come to church regularly. You can give your money to the church. You can read the Bible. You can do all of those things and go straight to hell when you die. Because none of that has anything to do with going to heaven. The only way that you get to go to heaven is by being saved. Jesus said, you must be born again. How are you born again? By receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. By acknowledging that you deserve to go to hell, that He is God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for you and for me. He was buried three days and three nights. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. When you acknowledge that, you confess that, and you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. I can't do anything for myself. I receive your free gift of eternal life. I believe that you're God. Please save me. Forgive me for my sins. Be my Savior. When that happens, then you're born again. Isn't that awesome? That's the only way to go to heaven. Being a disciple has never taken anyone to heaven. Getting saved is what takes you to heaven. All right? Now, here's the problem. There are a lot of people that are saved who are not disciples. They're born again, but they're not following Jesus. 
Right? Look, you can leave Titus. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Oh, verse 5 works with what we're doing. But we're going to read verse 5, and then you'll see where it ties in in a minute. So 1 John 2 and verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Okay, so here's what it's saying. All right, Eric Kindig here. He's saved. He's born again. So the job of Eric Kindig now, because he tells people he's saved, and you do tell people that. I know that you do. His job is not only to tell people, but to walk like Jesus, to behave like Jesus behaved. Now, I've got to tell you, that's impossible, isn't it? Can any of us perfectly walk like Jesus? No, 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 no. But discipleship is that process where we learn to do that. So you say that you believe in him, then you ought to walk even as he walked. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And at Grace Baptist Church, a disciple is one who's been saved and now wants to learn how to follow after Jesus Christ. And here's how you accomplish it. One who follows with the intent to learn and learns with the intent to obey. You know, there are a lot of people who know the Bible, but they're not saved. So it's not about learning facts. It's learning with the intent to obey. That's what discipleship is. All right. The basis for discipleship is love and freedom. The basis for discipleship is love and freedom. Go to John chapter 8 and we'll see this. Last week we looked at John 8 at the text where Jesus Christ is confronted with a woman caught in adultery and it's just a beautiful story. Then Jesus goes on to continue teaching in the temple. And look at what he says in verse 29, John chapter 8 and verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now that verse right there, it's so interesting. That's the opposite of Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and me. Amen. Jesus, though, could say, I do always those things that please the Father. Isn't that awesome? That's the difference. All right, then look at verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. What were they believing? That he was the perfect Son of God. And that's what you have to believe, that Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God who came to save you. All right, then look at what he said. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now, how do we know they were Jews? They're all in the temple. Right, that's where Jesus is speaking right here. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall... Would you mark that word make? And the truth shall make you free. The basis for discipleship is love and freedom. Let's try to understand that a little bit. So we're just going to stay here in John 8 for a minute. It's, it begins with love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ addresses seven churches. The first of those churches is the church at Ephesus. And he says to the angel, to the, angel of the church at Ephesus, write, saying, And 
here is what he says to that church. But I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. What should be the first love of the church and the first love of the Christian? Jesus. Is that right? It has to begin with love for Jesus. Everything we do has to begin with love for Jesus. So the basis for discipleship is love for Jesus. How does that demonstrate itself? I know there's a lot of people that say they love Jesus, but then they do things that violate the Scriptures. All right? So I could say I love Laura, my wife, and then behave in a way that would violate that. And that, that wouldn't work. So that wouldn't be walking as Jesus walks. All right? So John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will, read it out loud with me, keep my words. So what had happened to the church at Ephesus? They didn't keep his words. If you love Jesus, you'll keep his words. That's what discipleship is about. It's about love for Jesus. And if you love Jesus, look at John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which, look at the prerequisite is, they have to believe on him first. Do you see that? If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So the issue is continuing in his word. But you have to love him. You have to love him. If you love him, you'll keep his words. So the basis for discipleship is love and freedom. Love for Jesus. All right? And then freedom. Freedom that comes from Jesus. John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So discipleship, the basis for it is you love Jesus, and you're going to keep His words. The result of that is now you're free. So the goal of discipleship is to make you free. Free from what? Our problem is this. We don't know that we are slaves. We think we are free. Look at the text. Look at John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is so funny. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Um, anyone heard of Egypt? Moses had to deliver the Israelites because they were what in Egypt? Slaves. They were in bondage. What in the world are these guys talking about? And you ready for this? This is what's so funny. Who was over them as they're speaking? Rome. Rome. They could only live, they can only practice their faith as Rome allowed them to. They couldn't do what they wanted to. They were servants to Rome. It's so funny. Jesus Christ said, I want to make you free. They said, we're not slaves. And this is what happens with Christians. You tell them, look, if you will continue in his words, he's going to make you free. And you say, free from what? I'm fine. I've got no problems. I'm okay. I'm okay. No, what, what we need to understand is that this freedom comes from Jesus, but he has to make you free. It's like this. You go into a prison and you open the doors and you say you're free. And you have prisoners that look at the threshold of the, the gate and they look out there and they don't know what's out there. Say, no, nah, I'm going to stay here. This is comfortable for me. I've got, I've got three meals. I've got a bed. Uh, I, I'm going to stay right here. You know there are people who do that? There are people who get out of jail and go and commit a crime so they can go back to jail. 
You're impressed the way I caught that, weren't you? I could tell. Now, look, it's so important. It's so important that we get this. We are all very comfortable in this world. We don't even realize what we are in bondage to. Jesus, through his word, wants to make you free from all of that. All right? That's what discipleship is. How does he make us free? By helping us continue in his word. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on me, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So what is this continuing about? How do we continue in his words? Go to to, to 2 Timothy. I want you to see something with me. 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, look at verse 13. So this is another one of Paul's sons in the faith. His name is Timothy. And he is writing Timothy. The reason he wrote this book, according to chapter 3 and verse 14, he said, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what's he doing? Setting in order things that are wanting. How are we supposed to behave in the church? That's what this book is about. So verse 13, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the form of, what's it say? Sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So how do we do this? How does this happen? Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. And the things, what things? Those sound words. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So the the idea of discipleship, come here, Nick, help me out here. The idea of discipleship, Chad, you come up to. So here's discipleship. Here's another book. Okay, so this is the teachings of Pastor Jim Alter. All right, see, it's very thin. <laughs> All the pages have been colored in already. All right, so the, the teachings of Jim Alter. One of the mistakes that happens in Christianity is people think this is discipleship. That's not discipleship. Because those are not the sound words that came from Jesus Christ. These are the sound words. Discipleship is when I take these sound words and I give them to Nick. Now, it's not just that I give him the words. I teach him how to hold fast to these words. I teach him how to be faithful. So when he is holding fast to these words and he's a faithful man who has been taught how to teach the Bible, then he's going to give it to someone else. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is not learning um, a, a body of doctrine. That's not what discipleship is. Doctrine is a part of that. But the key is learning the Word of God and holding fast. You love Jesus by loving His words. When that's the foundation then when doctrinal error comes in, you love Jesus more than you love teaching. You love Jesus more than you love that, that false doctrine. And that keeps you right. Thank you, guys. So what discipleship is, is, and the things, what things? 
the sound words that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, those same words, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So now let's say that I've got two faithful men teaching over here, and now I begin discipling Patrick, but he's not faithful. Well, what does that mean? But you don't understand. He's really educated. He really knows the Bible. He's a great teacher, but he's not faithful. That means I can't allow him to teach Thai. Because discipleship is reproducing what you are. So if I allow an unfaithful man to reproduce someone else, what's he going to be? Unfaithful. Unfaithful. So that's the key. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's what discipleship is. And you don't really know something until you can tell it to someone else. Right? I always like to talk about the difference between Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Right? You watch Wheel of Fortune. Give me an M! Uh, um. And they introduce the person. This is Joe, and he's fascinated by bright, shiny objects. <laughs> then they go on Jeopardy. Uh, this is Bob, and Bob's a nuclear physicist, and he names stars in his spare time. Right? It's just a different, it's a different situation. And, you know, you've been playing Trivial Pursuit, and it, 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 there'll be a question. Something like this. What's the only man-made object visible from outer space? Um, uh, I don't know. It's the Great Wall of China. I knew that! Right? No, you had heard it before. If you knew it, you would have said it. Right? That's the problem with Christians. You sit there and you hear truth every week. You hear truth over and over and over again. You even read the Bible. You read truth. So you're hearing and seeing truth, but when it comes time to speak the truth, you're not prepared. That's what discipleship is about. It is preparing you to speak God's words to someone else. The Bible says, be not hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word also. Discipleship is making people doers of his word. All right? At Grace Baptist Church, we accomplish this through one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So, if you get involved in our one-on-one -on -one discipleship ministry, what is required of you? You're going to meet with a discipler one hour a week. Now, sometimes it'll go longer. It'll fit with the schedule. But the idea is that you meet with a trained discipler for one hour every week. That you are going to spend five days per week in the Directions Workbook. We have a discipleship book with, with lessons and there is, there is a statement and then scripture and then questions that you answer every day for five days. All right? It's, it's very easy. It takes, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes to do a lesson. Then you're going to memorize one verse per lesson. All right? So you're going to, there are 20 lessons, and so you'll memorize 20 verses over. How long will it take? It'll take about a year. The, now, here's the requirement. You have to be willing to be taught. You have to be willing to be taught. Now, this discipler will be a trained person. So how long will this take? It'll take about a year. Now, this is a part of our reset. We, with the way that we had been doing it, sometimes it would take two or three years for a person to get through discipleship. We're changing that. One-year limit. You're going to be done in a year and ready to train someone else. So it's a one-year commitment. Then, who will disciple me? Someone who has been trained. 
So the person that disciples you will have been through discipleship, and then they would have been trained by me for several months, I think it's three or four months, to train you. All right? So they're trained, they're ready to go. And then we try to match up couples. So if you're a married couple, we try to match you up with uh, another married couple. And then this is important, someone who is in a similar place in life. You know, someone, children or job or age. We try to match up people that are in a similar place in life. Um, You know, if I'm discipling a senior citizen, well, I'm not really, I don't really know what it's like to be a senior citizen. But if I'm discipling a a 21-year-old who's just gotten married, well, I'm in a different place in life than that right now. And so we try to match up people that are in a similar place in life. How do I sign up? How do I sign up? Well, we have a card that we're going to hand out here in a little while. And on that card, it says, A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Whether you have recently come to Christ or have been a Christian for many years, this ministry will be foundational in helping you to grow, uh, helping you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And all you do is you check the box. I would like to sign up for Grace Baptist Church Discipleship Ministry and then fill out your name, address, phone, and email. And we will match you up with someone who is in a similar place in life to you. And then they'll contact you. It's an exciting, exciting thing. What is the basis for all of this? The basis for this is love and freedom. If you love Jesus, you'll continue in his words. You'll be free from sin that, that is in all of our lives. You'll learn about his words, and then you will learn how to communicate those words to someone else. You see, God doesn't need people to sit on pews. God needs people to communicate his word. Amen? Amen? Now, he doesn't really need that, that he's chosen to do that through New Testament churches. So now what I want to do is we have trained, we have trained 40 adults to teach you. So all of you have come through the training. Come up here to the platform.